I am Chuck Betters, and you are listening to a Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. Now, anyone who's experienced any kind of family conflict knows that family conflict hurts a lot. It sometimes goes so deep that reconciliation doesn't even seem to be possible. I'm talking today to Jim Burns, who's the author of the popular book, Doing Life with Your Adult Children. I mean, that title alone caught my eye because I have adult children and the structures have changed from when we raised our kids to when they're adults, our culture has changed and becoming familiar with their culture and learning how to respond to how they're responding to their culture is sometimes really difficult. Jim, you are the executive director of Homeward Center for Youth and Family. You run a, a ministry or the executive director, or president, I should say, of, of Homeward. What is Homeward? Homeward has four values, Chuck. This is what we do our content around and what we do our ministry around. And it's strong marriages, confident parents, empowered kids, and healthy leaders. So all of our content, all of our mission comes through those four values. Homeward's the largest provider of parenting seminars in the United States. So we have 27 speakers here in the United States who actually speak on topics related to you know parenting and marriage. And then we do marriage conferences and have some really great resources on our website. A lot of good free stuff. We send out a lot of great, what we call e-blasts, 7 million of them in a year. And those are kind of ministry tips that people can get and they sure seem to appreciate it. It just keeps growing. We're going to put your information on our website, but how can people interface with, with your organization? Well, they can go to HomeWord, that's home and then W-O-R-D.com like the word of God, um, and they can get all the information there. Yeah, Homeward, it has a good, thriving website. Are you, the, are you the founder of this organization? I actually am. I mean, it's a 35-year-old ministry, and we started, my background was youth ministry. And then I wrote a book called Partnering with Parents in Youth Ministry, and that kind of changed my trajectory, saying, wow, we're helping a bunch of kids, but these parents need help too. So what we saw was a real movement within the church of family ministry and people focusing on trying to help parents helping families succeed. And so Homeward took that vein and kind of moved out of the youth ministry field and moved into the more the family ministry field. And that's, that's where we kind of have settled. We have a lot of families, friends who are our age, we're in the 70s, but 60s and even 50s, who will say, you know, as our kids were growing up, I had such a great relationship with them. Then something happened. That, that relationship has deteriorated. I don't understand their life choices. I don't know how to respond to them. I don't know how to disagree with them without it becoming some sort of a crisis. So parent and adult-child relationships, why do you think they get so difficult? Just what you said, you have friends who have done this. I mean, same with us. We started seeing this. And even at Homeward, we'd be doing parenting seminars and people would come up and say, this is fine, but it's our adult children we're having trouble with. And you know, even personally, we have three daughters. I remember Kathy saying one time, my, my wife, wow, I didn't think it was going to be as complicated when they got older. I thought it was going to be easier. I think a lot of times it's because as parents, we don't change. So what I say oftentimes to parents is my first principle is you're fired with your day-to-day job as a parent. I mean, you've invested at least two decades of your life with your kids. And now as they move toward adulthood, we've got to give them the passport to adulthood. And yet what I see is with a lot of parents and especially some of the Christian parents, there's a silent shame because their kids have, as you mentioned it, Chuck, the kids have violated values. They were, they were raised in the church. They were raised in the youth group. And the parents are in deep shock that they have some difference of opinion. And I, I see that 
And that's true, but I do think that parents can come alongside their adult children and end up having not a parent-child relationship, but an adult-to-an-adult relationship, even though they're still the parents. But I think we as parents have to follow some of those principles. And frankly, we have to reinvent the relationship. I mean, we were never parents of adults before, and they were never adults before. You know, and, and there's this process of them not knowing what to do and us not knowing what to do. Can you maybe describe some of the challenges that you have heard from people uh, as you've traveled and talked with sure. these parents? What, what are some of the challenges they face? Many of them do have adult children who have violated their values. So they grew up with a, with a faith component and the kids strayed from faith. There are kids who have very different views than them. They may have a real strong biblical view on sexuality, on uh, perhaps even drug and alcohol abuse political views, I mean, you name it, and their kids have a different view. And so it makes it pretty uncomfortable at Thanksgiving dinner and, you know, Christmas dinner, or if they're, as you mentioned at the beginning, if they're living in the house, sometimes that makes it uncomfortable. So I think that shocked parents, a lot of parents who said, hey, wait, we're doing a good job. And one of the things I say to parents of adult children is really good parents have kids who sometimes make real poor choices. That's not all about them. That's one of the things I hear. The other thing I hear is from, interesting enough, young adults is they say, my parents are always trying to give me advice. And one of the principles we talk about in the book, Doing Life, is unsolicited advice is usually taken as criticism. And you know we mean well, typically we're right, but the kids see it as us not trusting them. And so part of it is, like I said before, handing them that passport to adulthood and, and actually treating them like an adult. Because really the bottom line, Chuck, is that we help them become responsible adults. And I would add as a Christian who loved God. There, that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean it's going to be simple. But I think truly there are some principles that can help that relationship along the way. Maybe we can apply some of those principles to this scenario. Let me throw a scenario out at you. We have a friend who has uh, four younger children, younger meaning 20s and younger. And they have a 30-year-old son who he can't hold a job. He lives with his parents. He keeps leaving and coming back, leaving and coming back. He's at the point right now where he actually said to his parents, when they laid down some rules, they said, here are the rules. You're going to live here. Here are the rules of living in this house. And I want to get this quote exactly right. It's the parent's job to take care of their children, no matter how old they are. (laughs) I like that one. (laughs) I would have laughed, to be honest, because... I don't believe that because I think what if the parents are continuing to take care of their children, I mean, now there's a part, care, help, come alongside, bless, all those are good. But if you're, if you're taking care of them, then there's a failure to launch. And truly, there becomes a time when what we've got to do is say, hey, we don't want to keep enabling you. You know, the, the, a lot of parents continue to enable their kids and, and they really don't help their kids because then their kids are going to have that failure to launch. So. As, as much as this wonderful 30-year-old you know, has an opinion, I think his opinion is wrong. And really the way you help someone like him, and again, if there's learning disabilities or if there's some kind of a mental illness or things like that, it doesn't sound like that's the case with this kid. You know, I think you know, eventually you have to be able to say, look, at, here, this is tough love. Tough love isn't being mean. Tough love is saying, hey, there's some consequences to your action. We're not going to keep taking care of you. And that, that's hard on us parents because it breaks our hearts or we're afraid they're going to become homeless or they're going to you know, do something crazy. But in reality, if we don't launch them and help them be launched by helping them become responsible, 
by making some of those choices, well, you know, they're, they've got a good life. We're taking care of them still. So I would tend to disagree with that fine 30-year-old. And I would say that the parents, as hard as it is, has to say, have to say, we see it a different way. Let's talk a little bit about the millennials, because that's really the, the age group that we're dealing with today. Can you outline some, maybe some tent poles on, yeah. their, uh, on their philosophy right, right. that we have to learn to adjust to? Well, we do have to learn to at least understand and be students of the culture. That's one of the principles, be a student of the culture of the millennials. You don't have to agree with the millennials, but we do have to understand where our kids are coming from. So for example, one of the distinctives of a millennial is that they're absolutely shaped by technology. So, you know, I've got this little cell phone thing I'm showing you on, uh, on video anyway. Well, that didn't happen until 2008. So a millennial grew up with the cell phone where that wasn't the case for the parents. The parents learned to use technology. So they're shaped by technology. Millennials today shot by technology. Some millennials go to church all, all online because that's what they do. They, you know, one out of six people are gonna get mar- who got married last year in 2019 uh, met online. So you know, the world has changed in terms of how we use technology. Well, with that, there's some negative sides to technology too. This, these millennials, it's the first generation where pretty much they all saw pornography. I mean, it doesn't mean that they're all addicted to porn, but they did see pornography. So their view of sexuality is different. Their parents still, still weren't the ones who taught them about healthy, positive sex education. So a lot of them learned it you know, from, from looking at porn. This is a generation that I call the, has the cringe factor. So in the 1970s, when I was growing up, 75% of the population, this isn't a Christian population, the population in America said that they would not live with someone before instead of marriage. Today, you've got over 75% say that they would live with someone before marriage. And a lot of those are some of the Christian kids. So again, that's the millennial mindset. So as parents, we don't have to agree with the mindset, but we do need to get behind that mindset. A, a big one, and this kind of refers to some of the things I just mentioned, is that for millennials, again, another distinctive is that they view tolerance as a sign of loving. So what we see is a lot of disagreements with the adult children, especially those emerging adults, with their parents because they think the parents are closed-minded because the parents are you know, forming a, uh, I mean, they can still be loving, but they're not tolerant to some of the you know, the new ideas out there, whether it be sexuality or, you know, some of the other ideas. And so as a parent, we have to understand that that's how they've been brought up. And frankly, that's something that as parents, we can still show love and care and kind of agree to disagree on some things. What we tend to do sometimes as parents is say, no, you know, you're absolutely wrong. I won't even listen to this. When in fact, we may have to, with adult children, you know, develop some dialogue and some loving dialogue, even though we don't have to change our our boundaries, we do have to understand that their distinctives came from a different place. Let me piggyback on that just for a second. What's the difference between caring and enabling dependence? Well, caring is saying love, showing love, and and caring is being there for your kids. The other part to the book says, keep your mouth shut and the welcome mat out. That means that caring says, hey, the welcome mat's out. However, what you've got to do is, is have some boundaries and some expectations. And so you can create healthy boundaries and still show care. But unfortunately, sometimes parents of adults will not have some of those healthy boundaries. So for example, the kid who comes back home, they should show responsibility in the home. So that means they should take care of someone. It shouldn't be the parents doing it. I, I have a friend, I just was telling this story on Sunday, I was speaking in Houston 
And I, I have a friend who uh, told me about a couple and then I ended up meeting with the couple and you know, the, the young man, his name's Sean. He went to college, did good in college, comes back, sleeps until one. He's a vegan. So his mom cooks a vegan dinner and another dinner for, for the husband and the wife. I'm not sure that's what you do. And then he goes out and kind of parties all night. And then he comes back in and they're saying, when they were with me, they're saying, you know, he, he's using our credit card and all this. Then they say, Sean has a problem. He's sitting in the room with me and he kind of has a smirk, a smirk on his face. I said, I don't think Sean has a problem. He has a pretty good life. You're taking care of him. I mean, you're even cooking his vegan meals. I, I think you have the problem. Mm-hmm. Sean needs to become responsible. So what's the, what's the job of, uh, and the boundaries that help him become a responsible adult? And it's not going to be that you're going to take care of him and still keep making his bed as an adult. You know, Sean went from having a smirk to like, hey, you're, now you're meddling in my life. But as a parent, and I think it's really hard to do as a parent, we want to help them become responsible. So that's, not, that's caring. Caring sometimes says, I want the best for you. So I'm going to have to say no to that financial issue or whatever. That's still caring. When you're enabling, then really you're enabling dependence on you. And because it's so hard for a lot of us when our kids do become adults, because you know they have been dependent on us, that sometimes we enable dependence because we still give them the money, we still are taking care of them, when in fact, we've got to go back to that idea of launching. And so the question becomes, are you enabling dependence? Well, if you're handing them out money without responsibility, if they're living in your home and they're not following your moral code in the home, not that you can chase your kids all over the country, but if they're in the home, then they're, you know, they shouldn't have their boyfriend or girlfriend living, that's my opinion. Have their boyfriend or girlfriend, you know, sleeping in the, you know, in the bedrooms with them and things like that. That's that's going to help them become responsible. Even when it comes to finances, you know, I talked about, you know, financial responsibility, but that's part of helping them as well. So to do that, you can't just take care of them. Even if you could, even if financially you could, the question would be, should you? If you if you are enabling them all the time, then you're then you're paying for too much. They need to learn to do that on their own. Even if you had the money. So much of our social interactions as adults, and I'm talking about in my age group now, has to deal with the values that are shifting on Facebook, on Instagram. You post something very innocent and all of a sudden you find yourself being crucified uh, by others who view your intolerance of certain values that you hold dear as hatred. what do you do when that kind of a debate comes to fruition in your own children right. when they begin to say things like, you're so intolerant, and they equate that with hatred, especially yeah. when it comes to biblical values? For one thing, I don't think we do it in a public forum. So I don't think it's Facebook and Instagram where those, because a lot of times you'll hear about a parent that posted something and then the kids start remarking. Now they're going back and forth on a, on a public Form. I don't think that's the place to do it. I think it's over a cup of coffee in a loving environment. But I think it's important for them to understand that it's very possible to love someone and care for someone and not agree with that value. So, for example, one of the biggies is gender identity, you know, issues. And so, I happen to have a, a more biblical view of uh, marriages based on a husband and a wife. And yet, at the same time, with our kids, we felt like we needed to have them see us love people who we didn't necessarily agree with. So not too long ago, we had a, a couple from our church, two, two men, and we invited the guy over for, for his birthday. And he, had, he was 42 years old. He'd never had a birthday party. So we, we even bought the little pointy hats and the, you know, the little you know, things that you blow. And, and we, our kids knew that we didn't agree necessarily with their lifestyle. 
but we, they walked in the door and we sang happy birthday to this guy. And then we had a meal with him, with our family around. Kathy had a cake that had happy birthday and all this. It was the only time he'd ever had a birthday party. You know, a lot of people who have struggles with their sexuality have some other issues. It could be, you know, deep dysfunction or it could be a sexual abuse or things like this. He kind of fits all of that. And in the middle of us singing the second time, happy birthday, he leaned over to me and put his hand on me and he said, no, I thought you guys were Christians. And I said, well, we are. And he said, oh, okay. You know, it was, he was trying to figure that out. What we didn't change our values, but what our kids saw was, you know what, we're still going to love people. You know, Jesus looked at a prostitute and said, go and sin no more, but still, you know, loved on the prostitute. I mean, some of those people running around with Jesus were, were pretty shady characters at one time, see? And so I think we have to do that. And I think that shows our kids that, yes, it's possible to love, but it's also possible. To, and I think they respect that you can have a, a worldview. I have a good friend who's now passed away, but his name's Mike Iaconelli, and he was the founder of an organization called Youth Specialties. And he used to say, you know, we can worship the living God in church and then argue politics on the way out to the parking lot. I like that. And I think we've gotten so divided and such a wedge in our country, whether it be political or with these other issues, even with our adult children. But I think we have to be careful not to do the wedge. So my story right there of, of the birthday party, that put even one of my children who love the Lord and go to church, but have a different view on a couple of issues, that put them in disequilibrium because they went, wow, mom and dad still can show love to somebody, but not necessarily agree with their lifestyle. We have a series of uh, resources with Mark Inc. on gender identity. One of them is with Rosaria Butterfield. She is a former professor at Syracuse. She's written books on how she was heavily involved in the gay and lesbian ministries, uh, call them ministries, at uh, Syracuse, and how one pastor, one pastor and his, his love for her as a person changed her life. She's now married to a, a PCA pastor with five children, I believe, and her story is quite a story yeah. on how to receive love from somebody who disagrees with your lifestyle. Well, I, I, I love that uh, concept. And, and frankly, you know, we're not going to change the world by being mean, but we also don't have to be so tolerant that we water down what we believe, but we can still be loving. It's the, the pastor is the perfect illustration for her. She probably experienced what we call gender identity confusion. So today, about 10% of the student population experiences gender identity confusion. It doesn't mean they're gay or lesbian. They may be even acting it out, but they don't really have that within them. They're just confused. And if somebody comes along and shows them love and, and a true depth of intimacy that they don't know, well, that can change things pretty quickly. And I think we do that with our kids. Going back to, to the topic, I think we have to show our kids that it's very possible to love people as Jesus loved and still have a strong biblical foundation that, that isn't, I mean, Jesus was he wouldn't have passed the tolerance test because he had some pretty strong things to say about leadership. He had strong things to say about sexuality. He had a lot of strong things to say about stuff, but he also seemed to do it with love. And then at the next thing you know, he's like I said, he's, you know, he's talking to a prostitute or he's talking to a tax collector or things that were kind of the unlovelies. His illustrations this morning, I read with my grandson because we have our, our, one of our daughters and, and son-in-law and the two kids because of a housing situation are living at our house. And today I read the story of the Good Samaritan to my four-year-old. And I was explaining to him that Samaritans weren't accepted by the Jews. Now he's four, so he didn't totally understand every part of that. But Jesus gave the illustration that it was the Samaritan who showed the love to the guy who was robbed, not the 
priest and the other. That's great. We have a situation that maybe you can apply some of the principles of your book to this one. There's a mid-20s boy living with his family. He announced to them that he is in a relationship with a 38-year-old man, a homosexual relationship. Long story short, this family has tried every which way they can to communicate their values to their son and including showing love toward this 38-year-old man, uh, inviting him to different functions, etc. Well, now their 25-year-old son, he's going to ask the 38-year-old to marry him, and he wants his family to come to the wedding, and he wants his parents to walk him down the aisle. Well, I think that's a tough, a tough issue, and that is an issue that I hear about more and more. Personally, I think that the family has done it right to, to show love. I mean, I said to a woman the other day when I was speaking on this subject, do, do, does your, it was a daughter, but does your daughter know what you believe? Yes. Does your daughter know you love her? Yes. Okay, then make sure that the relationship isn't just a one-topic situation. In this case, where I think that's really complicated, Chuck, is because um, I think a, I, I think there has to be a discernment on the parents, and I I don't think that there's some parents would probably not go, and some parents would go. My, I would tend to be honest to go. I'm not sure I would tend to walk them down the aisle. I might say I might say, hey, you know what we believe and how we feel, and and we love you so much, but we want to be there. And the and here's why I would say be there. And, and again, I think some people could be could not go, and that'd be all, all right too. My guess is it'll crash. The average marriage is about 50% right now. Last year, we had 2.1 million marriages in America, 900,000 divorces. So give or take, let's pretend that the marriage rate is 50%. What you see a lot of times in relationships, especially with somebody who's 38 years old and somebody who's 25 years old, even in a heterosexual relationship, it may not work. So if they don't go and if they shun their child, then when they crash, and there's a pretty good chance it's going to crash, they may not come to, for help. But if you were at least there, not being supportive of the union, but being, you know, people who came alongside them, kind of showing them the power of being there, I think there's a po- very good possibility that they would quite possibly when it did crash. Now, I tell a story in the book, Doing Life with Your Adult Children, about a, a guy who actually is a pastor at a pretty major church here in Southern California. His daughter announced to him that same kind of thing, that she was going to marry a 42-year-old. And he said, what, what would you do? And I said, well, I don't know. I said, if it was my daughter, I'd probably go. For them, he, didn't, he was not asked to walk down the aisle, which I, you know, is an easier thing. And I, and I said the same thing because you know, eventually, I don't think this is going to work. Three months, and she calls and she goes, I'm humbled, but this didn't work. I'd like to come home. Well, today, she's going through a celebrate recovery process at her church. She is in a relationship with a guy, and it's actually her, what she calls her first kind of Christian relationship. She's trying to do it right. So she, so if the parents wouldn't have come, I'm afraid that she might not have come back to them. So, but it's really tricky. I mean, this is where, you know, sometimes I think even as a Christian, the Holy Spirit may give me a leaning to, to say something or do something one way and may give somebody else a leaning to do it differently. So I'm not going to put somebody down if they don't, but I would tend to say, as long as they know what you believe, as long as they know how you feel, do what you can to continue to show love without compromising your values. And I think it can be done. Very well put. I am a grandparent. I'm about to become a great-grandparent. All right. So I have adult grandchildren. Can you think of one word 
that you just want to avoid like the plague when it comes to ministering to your adult grandchildren or your adult children? I'm going to give you two words because I'm going to give you one good word, one word that maybe isn't so good. The word that I always think of, especially I'm thinking about your great-grandchildren, how awesome is that? I, would, I think of the word legacy because you really have the chance to build into their life. And you know, we have a phrase at Homeward that says one of the jobs of the church is to mentor parents. Parents and grandparents mentor their children and grandchildren. And the legacy of faith continues to the next generation. So the beauty of that is, is parenting and grandparenting is, is generational. So you know, that's the word legacy. I would say that when we're talking about adults and adult grandchildren, that if we get too intrusive in their life, and what I mean by intrusive is we can be loving, but not intrusive. And so sometimes it means we've got a, you can't see this, but I've got some scars on my tongue because I always have an opinion. And I, and my wife says, I always think I'm right. (laughs) And I've just had to learn to not be intrusive with even my daughter and son who are living, or son-in-law who are living right now. There's a couple of things that they do with their kids and they're great. My daughter and son-in-law are awesome people and they're actively involved in the same church we are and they're beautiful. But there's some things that drive me nuts. And, and I would love to tell them what I think about how they do certain things. But, you know, they didn't invite me into that. So I don't want to be intrusive because if I'm intrusive, I'll lose the, the right to speak into their life on some of the more important issues. Legacy wow. intrusiveness. You uh, talked in the beginning about you're fired. Your yeah. job description is over. You're fired. Yes. So what's the job description of a parent raising their children versus a parent interfacing with their adult children? It's a great question because, well, let's, let's take the adult children first. You know, they're on a, you're on a parallel journey. I mean, you were never the parent of an adult child before, and your children were never adults, so they don't really know what they're doing either. So I think you have to reinvent the relationship. And so part of the job description is to reinvent the relationship. And that means, as I said earlier, you've given the passport to adulthood, but I think you have to rewrite the script by letting go. And this is hard for us, but it's also hard for the kids because they, well, you gave at the very beginning of this, you were talking about the 30-year-old who said, no, your, your job is to still take care of me. Well, actually, that's not right. The job is to, to let go and become responsible. And so part of that job description is what I said. I think you'd be encouraging, but not intrusive. You know what? Also, I honestly believe that one of the parts of our job description as parents of adult children is for us to get as emotionally, spiritually healthy as we possibly can. Because uh, there's a woman, and we used to read this book to our children, and now we're reading it to our grandchildren. It was was called Alexander and His Very Bad, Horrible, No Good Day. And the woman's name was Judith Borst. And one of the comments she talks about with adult children is she goes, letting our children go must be counted as one of the great losses. And I don't think parents of adult children do that enough, where they, where they kind of go through the grief process of saying, we're not needed. So part of, I think that's part of our job description with adult children. And, and truly, the unsolicited advice is taken as criticism. With our children, now that's a different story. When, you're, when you have babies, you're, you're caring for them. And then you move to controlling them, multi-managing them in the best of ways. But by the time they get about 10, you're still moving them toward, what's the bottom line in parenting? Help them become responsible adults. It's the same thing. So then you begin to coach, consult. By the time they're late teens, you want to be basically helping them make most of those decisions. Even if they're not making the perfect decisions, they're going to learn by skinning their knee. Experience is always a better teacher than advice. And so the difference is, is you're actively involved day to day. And even if you're a coach, if you've moved to that level, as opposed to just always controlling like the little ones, you know, coaches lead, coaches 
put you on a timeout. Coaches give direction. So you continue that role. And that's the role you do when, when they're in the house. When, they're, when they become adults, the role does change where now you're, well, you're really moving it from parent-child to more of an adult to adult. They're, you're still the parent. They're still calling you mom. They're still calling you dad. But it really does have to change. And when that happens, I think what they hear you say, whether by words or just by your actions, is you trust me. And you trust me to be a, a responsible adult, even with my foibles and my, you know, skin knees along the way. That's how we learn. When you're in my age group, as you very well know, we're in uncharted territory. You're watching your children develop their marriages, how they parent their children, how they get along or don't get along with their, with their in-laws, honoring your in-laws when you don't even like them, right. that sort of thing, dealing with holidays, navigating the whole principle of dual families. You talk about all those things in your book. And I'm looking at my own situation. I have three adult children, all married, 14 grandkids, three or four of them, they're, they're in adult roles now, they're married. So we're starting in the grand, great-grandchild role. But when they all get together, they all come to our house and they're all in the same room. It can get pretty heated at times sure. uh, because they're all very opinionated, hanging on to certain values that they consider dear. Now, in our role, I'm asking you about our role right now. When we see that happening, and when we see that there could be possible conflict that comes as the result of it, what would you advise somebody like large family, kind of we're the head of the family, Uh, I'm the patriarch, my wife's the matriarch. When you see it starting to get out of hand because of their diverse opinions about life, what should we do? I think you do it with a smile. And you may have to scream into the pillow in the bedroom going and with you and your wife saying, what is going on? But I think you have to do it with a smile. And, you know, there is a phrase that I like to use when we're talking about, you know, the in-laws and, you know, all the family coming together. And I say, protect the family, do the right thing. So sometimes the right thing is to allow some of that to happen, even though you don't want it to. But you've got to protect the family. So, you know, we have a rule at our house because of one daughter and son-in-law who have a very different political bet than the other ones. And so we don't really get much discussion with them, but boy, do they go at it when they, same thing. And so I've said, okay, you know, we are, we recognize that people have different opinions and that's not going to be the issue for the day. So time out, you know, if you guys want to do this on your own time, fantastic. Go out. We live at the beach, go out and take a walk on the beach and do whatever you want to do, but you're not, don't do that in here. And they've, they've accepted that. So we've had to put some boundaries around for our personal life, we've had to put some boundaries because I, I, your family sounds, it's not as, your family, you have many more grandkids. We have two and one coming. The point being is that, you know, it, it can get a little rowdy. I would say it's, it's better for us to just go, look, we're going to protect the family and do the right thing. You know, my dad did something that I respect so much, and I wasn't raised in a Christian home, Chuck, but two of my brothers worked with him. They worked in the same business, and it wasn't going well with our family. We'd have all these arguments about the business. We weren't, a part, I wasn't a part of that, but I would observe it. And my dad ended up buying my brothers out at a loss for him so that we could still have a family. And what he did was he sacrificed money to make sure that the family was going to be together. And the family came back together in a beautiful way. You didn't ask that question, but in reality, I think what my dad did was an incredible illustration of saying family is more important than money. It's more important than these other things. And I think it's important that when, when life, it's going to get heated. Every family has heated times. It gets too heated. I think we have to call a timeout when you say, and I think it comes best 
when the patriarch and the matriarch say it's a timeout, but you're doing it with a smile. You're not doing it in anger or you're not teaming up with, with one of the other people. You're just simply saying, this isn't working right now. And, and so we're going to ask that, you know, we cancel these kinds of conversations. Is it going to be perfect? No, but at least they know what you feel and, and what you believe. Can you think of a, of a way in which a matriarch or a patriarch should handle a discussion with their adult children who have a conflict with another of the adult children? In other words, when the siblings are in a rivalry, what, what should our role be? I don't think we, we jump in as fast as a lot of us do. I honestly think they need to kind of work it out. But remember back when kids were a five-year-old and a seven-year-old, and you said, you guys need to work this out. It was the beginning of teaching them how to do sibling rivalry in a positive way. And I think there's a little of that where you, where you say that. At the same time, if, it, if you feel like it's breaking the family apart, you know, I think it's really, really possible to not jump into the weeds, but to, you know, from a little higher level, you know, have that conversation. I actually know a guy He's, I'm in a small group. I've been in a small group for 17 years with these incredible men. He had two sons who were kind of fighting with each other. And so he said, would you guys like, you know, the Bible says where there's no counsel, the people fall and the multitude of counselors are a safety. Would you be willing if mom and I paid for two counseling sessions for you to kind of do this with a moderator? I don't think you want to do this with mom and me. Um, and he was totally more around one of the sons he agreed with and the other son he didn't agree with, you know, on, on this issue. And uh, so I thought that was a great thing. And again, it cost him 300 bucks, I think, because he went to a really nice, you know, the counselor was $150. So you're talking $300 to get this settled. Well, that's nothing compared to where it could have gone. And the boys were really thankful. The spouses of their two sons, you know, just kept saying, thank you so much because the boys kind of came back together. They had to lower their expectations of what their relationship was going to be like. They probably weren't going to be fishing buddies for the rest of their life. But the counselor got to the nitty gritty and it wasn't the dad and the mom. And because I have three daughters, so of course we've had no hormones or drama in our life. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, so with that, there's times when our, when our girls have gotten, I mean, they're the closest of closest. And yet there's times when they've, you know, been on each other. And what we've had to do sometimes is give some suggestions from afar or even as, with adults say, can I have permission to speak into this? I remember one time saying to my daughter, Christy, she's my oldest, and she's the one who lives with us, and she's a character. And um, I said, Christy, can I speak into that? And she goes, not now, Dad. And I'm thinking, wait, people pay me money to mm-hmm. give them advice, and my own daughter isn't wanting it. And I just kept my mouth shut. Well, she came back. It's kind of like that movie, The Field of Dreams. If you build the baseball diamond in the middle of Iowa cornfield, they'll come. So a little bit later, because I went, okay, I think I have a good idea. And I walked, I walked out without any tension. I just kind of smiled. And later she said, hey, I'd like to get your input now. It wasn't the perfect timing. And I went, how mature of that was her? I mean, she, she came back. Mm-hmm. I gave her my input and she said, you know what? I can see your input. And this was uh, directly related to a, relation, a situation she was having with, with one of her sisters. Other times, I wish it was simple and it's not and it's confusing. And, you know, I think one of the painful things in life for a lot of parents and grandparents is when they see that their own children are like not getting along like you would hope. You'd hoped it would be the Brady Bunch and they would all love each other and everything would be perfect. And that isn't the case a lot of times. Well, as we get ready to wrap up our, our time here, you, you wrote a book that I think should be required reading for every parent of a, of a person who's ready to become an adult, doing life with your adult children. You have nine principles in that book that 
are designed to help build the relationship that's an adult to adult, adult relationship. And we've kind of already touched on a few. Can you unpack a few more with hopes that the listeners are going to want to hear more and uh, hopefully get your book? Yeah, let me, let me give a couple of, of kind of overriding principles. One is on the principle. We talked about violating values a little bit, but the principle is you can't want it more than they want it. And that's tough because as parents, we want it more than they want it a lot of times, especially if the kids are you know, messing up. Faith, take, say they stray from faith. But somehow we've got to understand that if, if we enable them or if we enable them toward dependence on us, that, you know, that isn't going to work. So that you can't want it more than they want it, I think, is a big one. We only touched a little bit on financial. And finances are a big deal. I always say don't make finances complicated. Now, 75% of parents sometimes help their kids as adults financially. But sometimes you have to, the greatest way to say, I love you is to say no, if they have some kind of a need. And really what you want to teach your kids and help your kids move toward is healthy stewardship, financial responsibility. And uh, I find that a lot of parents, when they come to me, that's the issue that they're talking about. You know, I'm, as a speaker right now, I'm speaking on this a lot, almost weekly. And uh, that's one of the violating values. And I would say the financial issues, you know, do I, do I keep paying for my kid's cell phone and car insurance and my kid is, you know, 26 years old? My suggestion is, is wean them off of that pretty, pretty quickly. Um, but I would say those are important principles. The other principle that we, re, we, when we talked about the millennials, and the principle is just simply become a student of the culture. You know, we were 18 and we were 28 and we were, as your kids are a little bit older, we were those ages, but we were never their age because of, the, of where the culture has. So we have to, we don't have to agree with everything that comes in the culture, but we do have to understand the culture. And when we do that, I think it helps us then, you know, identify with them. And then the other one that we alluded to simply, Chuck, is, is the one that I, and I, I, I do this with in-laws, the blend, access, but even thinking about just the in-law story. And I, the one I used is wear beige and keep your mouth shut. Where I got that from, because I have all girls, we've had two weddings. One of my daughters is actually a, a clinical psychologist who's single still. But, uh, and I think that that's going to change here in a little bit. But I said to a friend of mine, they have all boys. And I said, what do you, if you're the, if you're the parent of a you know, groom, what, what do you do? And she smiled and she said, well, I just wore beige and kept my mouth shut. <laughs> and I started laughing because I go, that was not our experience. <laughs> but I think it's a good advice that you be their greatest cheerleader you know, you don't give advice unless asked, and, but you don't criticize. Mm. Uh, I was talking to a woman this weekend who she was having trouble getting to her, toward her son and the grandkids. And I said, well, access to your son and grandkids is through your daughter-in-law. She goes, well, I don't even like my daughter-in-law. And I said, well, mm. there's some people probably at work that you don't like either, but I would get, but you try to get along with them. I would make your daughter-in-law your biggest project and not try to change her, but actually try to develop a, a healthy relationship because in doing that, and not preaching and lecturing at her, but in doing that, you also get access to your son and grandchildren in a way that she's going to stop that if you're not careful. And I think that's a neat principle as well. So lots of, lots of good principles throughout this. What's the cringe factor? Cringe factor is that kids are living lives. You know, I mentioned pornography. I mentioned cohabitation. We talked about gender identity. Because that's so prevalent in our culture with our kids, we as parents kind of cringe. We didn't see that coming. The other aspect of the cringe factor is that they, we didn't see straying from faith coming. And so they're, they're forfeiting their spiritual purposes. And that came as a great shock to many of us because we were 
raising our kids in the church. We raised our kids in faith. We had family, you know, times we did not that anybody was perfect, but we expected them to stay strong in the faith. And the cringe factor was seriously, they're now not even, you know, going to church and they're not raising their children growing to, you know, going to church. That's a cringe factor. The cringe factor can be, it's not like we just accept the cringe factor, but we've got to be able to understand the cringe factor and actually have people around us. I call them replenishing relationships. And for Kathy and I, we found, because all of our, all three of our kids are actually doing really good right now, but they were in, in college, especially they made some silly decisions. We found that by being open, instead of being quiet about it, um, we could talk about some of the cringe factor issues with other people who maybe were a little bit older, a little bit wiser, and they helped us kind of walk through some of the cringe factor issues. And we could see it not just as that was their story for the rest of their life, but it was a, a moment in history that, uh, of their history that, you know, now caused them to have a bump and a bruise, but they're okay as time goes on. You, uh, you, you mentioned the faith factor that um, there are times when parents whose children are, have departed from the church and from the values with which they were raised that the adult or the, the parent can feel as though, what did I do wrong? Did yeah. I do something wrong? What counsel would you give them at that point? I mentioned it already. I think that, you know, a long time ago, not talking about faith, but I said really good parents can have kids who make poor choices. So, you know, the interesting side about faith is, you know, they, they tend to imitate the faith of their parents, but then they get to a stage where they have to develop their own faith. And so I don't think parents can be too hard on themselves, but they also have to know this, that about 65% of kids, and at Homeward, we specialize in thinking about kids, about 65% of kids do sometime leave the church kind of after high school. A lot of times they do come back, Chuck. They come back at marriage. They come back when their children come. So it's not as bleak as we make it sound sometimes. And I think we have to have a lot of patience and realize that our kids who are mm-hmm. making some statements or even going in a direction, it doesn't have to be like that forever. They, the Bible says, train up a child in the way that they would go. And I think a lot of parents did that really well. And in the end, they will return. It doesn't say that there's not going to be bumps and bruises. And it doesn't say when the end is. So sometimes, you know, our pastor used to always say, you know, God is never too early and he's never too late. Well, I thought he's been too late sometimes in my life with some of those things. I don't mean that, you know, as, a, as an affront to God. But, you know, in, when it comes to timing, I, I do see kids come back. And I, I do have hope. My dad became a Christian at 83 years old. I'm not saying that you want your kids to wait that long to come back, but you know, I think a lot of kids do come back when, when there are those moments in their life, like marriage, children, a, a tough thing happens, a storm in their life comes. And I think, so I think we need to be there, be steady, be loving. If we're dumping all of our anger and frustration on them, well, they're not going to come to us when they're in time of need. So you know, are we the ones who are kind of coming alongside of them, even though they know we disagree with them? Like I said earlier, we have 14 grandkids and each one just has our heart. I mean, they have, each one of them has us wrapped. Yeah, absolutely. I get it. <laughs> when you see, uh, now this is not necessarily in our case, but when grandparents see that their grandchildren are not being raised with the values the Christian values with which you hoped they were going to be raised, yeah. with which you raised your children, their parents, what advice would you have for that yeah. grandparent? Well, first of all, every grandparent can pray and every grandparent can be engaged. So what I find, you know, think about in your life and in my life, the amount of people we've talked to who said it was a praying grandma, 
it was a grandpa who, you know, was kind of goofy and he wore a weird hat, but he always said, Jesus loves you and I love you. And, you know, we didn't hear that in our home, you know, so parents or grandparents can keep that going. But I also find that if the grandparents are in the area, I, a lot of times parents will say, you know, say, hey, we'd like to take him to church or we've got vacation Bible school coming up. We'd love to take him to vacation Bible school. I, there's a lot of Christian conference centers around. They have family camps. And many times, instead of saying, instead of preaching uh, to, to, the, uh, to the kids, your own kids, and saying your kids need to get in here, say, hey, we got a chance to go to, to you know, to, to a camp for a week. We'd love to bring the grandkids. We'd, in fact, love to have you come. And, you know, you don't have to cook all week. And, you know, we'll, we'll even pay for it. And I realize sometimes it can't happen because of cost. But I've heard so many great stories when parents, when grandparents come alongside and aren't preachy luxury, but just sort of make it happen. It's kind of funny. Somebody told me this a couple of weeks ago. I write books on sexuality for kids. And so there's a couple of children's storybooks, um, you know, God made your body. And so like three to five-year-olds. And so God made your body, that kind of stuff. And then the next one is six to nine. And a grandparent said that they decided that their kids weren't talking to them about a God-honoring way of doing sexuality. So they bought the book and they started reading this book. And the kids loved the book. And it has pictures of babies and all this stuff. And then the parents said, what was the deal? You never read that book to me. <laughs> well, you know, how come you're doing it to our kids? Mm-hmm. And they said, well, we kind of missed, we kind of skipped you. And they said, hey, thank you for doing that. Now, this was a parent who wasn't really doing the job with their kids on that aspect or on the faith aspect. So, you know, grandparents can get away with a lot of stuff. I do realize, though, Chuck, that we have to be polite in the sense that if our kids are totally angry about it or totally against it, and I think it's a little harder. That's where prayer and breakthrough and periodically saying something with the kids, but not, I wouldn't go around the, the, the parents and I wouldn't put the parents down. Uh, you know, Jim, as we wrap this up, I want you to imagine that you're sitting across the table from a heartbroken parent who is estranged from his or her adult child. Speak to that person. What comfort would you give them? Well, first of all, I, I would give them comfort. I, I don't think I would give them as much advice as you and I are throwing out here. And I would just try to be loving and caring because I know that, that there's maybe not a deeper heartbreak at all, Chuck, than, than something like that. But I would also try to give them hope because, you know, when somebody is estranged, there's reasons for that. And oftentimes, though, especially in a family that can be rectified because there really is a deep love and there's a deep foundation. And I find that when the parent of the children, adult children, even when it's like that, when the parent says, uh, you know, take some of the hit, you know, we, we swallow our pride and we say, Hey, I'm sorry for, you know, if this has been, whatever has been caused by me, or if you think it's been caused by me, I, I really am sorry. And I want to make this thing right. And if you don't want to talk for the rest of your life about that one issue that broke us apart, that's fine. But, you know, I'm, I'm partly to blame, too. And I really think that, that when we can humble ourselves, be ruthlessly honest about our own brokenness, and share that with our children, a lot of times that's what happens. Now, again, I'm not saying that the parent's uh, 100% wrong. I'm just saying they, when you're pointing a finger at your kid, there's three fingers pointing back at you. So I think take care of what you can. And whenever you can say, that was all about me and that wasn't about you, or I can see your point. Uh, if I was in your shoes, I might feel the same way. Nevertheless, I, you know, I have a different view, but I don't need to be right on this. I just want to have a relationship with you. That's mm-hmm. when the relationship comes back. And that's hard to do because you got to swallow your pride because you probably are right part of the way, but you got to, so you just have to swallow your pride. I don't think you lie, but I do think you just take 
the forum that you where you can apologize and do it. And, and then I see that a softening takes place. And when the softening takes place, then you, you just keep building on it until finally one day you find out, wow, I have a, I have a good relationship that was terrible just two years ago. Well, Jim, I, I want to thank you for taking the time sure. to uh, visit us. And if you're listening to this podcast, you know you've been listening by now to my conversation with Jim Burns. Now, Jim is the author of a book that I think all of you ought to get. It's called Doing Life with Your Adult Children. Uh, maybe you ought to get it before your children become adults so that you can learn these principles he outlines in the book. We're going to include on the Mark Inc. website a link to Homeward, which is the organization uh, that Jim runs, where you can find a whole slew of resources that have been developed by Jim Burns designed to build strong families and marriages. Jim, I've really enjoyed hearing you take on how to do life with adult children. And I know it's hard. And I know our listeners are better equipped to interact with their adult children too. And I hope many of you will get Jim's book because we here in this podcast, we've only had time to cover a small part of uh, Jim's message. This Help and Hope podcast is produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. You can go to M-A-R-K-I-N-C dot org, where you will find hundreds of free resources designed to offer help and hope to hurting people. And if you were encouraged by what you've just heard, share it with your friends or let us know if you have any questions that we might be able to help you answer. Mark Inc. Ministries is a ministry you ought to like on Facebook and other social media. There you can stay up to date with all of our new resources. You can subscribe to this podcast, many other podcasts that we have, when you're visiting us at markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org. I want to thank you for listening. I want to pray that God's Spirit will bless and encourage you, that you will find the hope of the gospel in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jim, one final word from you. Hey, great to be with you and bless you and Sharon. And uh, as people get involved in parenting, it's the greatest thing. Jesus said, let the little children come and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And uh, little children in his mind might be some of those adult children too. So your role as a parent and as a grandparent is I think one of the most important roles you can ever have. And you're really the arms and the mouthpiece of God. Enjoy it and have serious fun with those grandkids and and your kids as well. Yes, thank you, Jim. God bless you for listening. Thank you for listening. Visit us at markinc.org. God bless you, friend.